Well, I hope you had a good week. We, some of us are at the um, healing week with Living Waters, and uh, uh, we're still in recovery, but it was an excellent week. And now we're going to continue with the series that we're doing through most of the summer, How People Grow. Now, if you've been with us uh, in, in terms of what the series, then you'll know that we've covered a number of subjects, and I think we would be a little way, three quarters of the way through the book now. Listen to the podcast to pick up most of the things we've, we've covered. Now, the key thing is this, that we have been disconnected from God because of the fall. And the purpose of redemption, that's the book, get the book. The book is good. Yeah? Read the book, work through the book. You know, in life, if you want to make progress in anything, you need to give it time. And read and, and to pray and ask God to work it through. If you're doing it with a group of people, that's always better because you're able to talk it through, you're able to share experiences. But I I believe this book has some life-changing things in there for us to consider as a people, as we begin to to grow in God, and as we prepare to see God come, and I believe come in revival power, I think the things that we cover in this book prepares our hearts for that. So I commend it to you. But as I was saying, the issue is we need to get reconnected with God. And the, and the purpose of redemption, which is that theological word, is not just the cross when we initially come to Jesus, but God is seeking to restore to us everything that was taken from us before the fall. And the truth is, the enemy has been very effective in getting us to live a sub a sub, I'm just looking, thinking the word, sub-Christian life. We're not living at the level we should be for the work that Jesus did at Calvary. There's still so much more that God has for us. So the whole issue of us being redeemed, being saved, so that God can reclaim that which was originally in the, the plan before the fall, that God is wanting to work that into our lives now. And at whatever level of maturity you are at at this moment in your walk with God, or in our walk with God, God's got far more for us than we're living at at the level of, at the living at, at this moment in time. Get that in your heart. So then, this session we're looking at the problem of sin and temptation. Now, we may get, we'll deal with sin, we may not get to the temptation bit, but of course you can read that in the book. So, what are the headings we're going to look at in this session? We're going to look at, we are responsible and accountable for our sin. We are powerless to do anything about our sin. I didn't like that. Because we like to think that we have some power to overcome the things that take us. But we're powerless. Trying to do better does not work. Because our sin is hurting us or others. However, help us come in the form of the gospel, the good news about Jesus. So, here we go. We are responsible and accountable for our sin. That's a tough one. Because we usually like to blame other people. But the truth is, we are responsible. So, definition, what is sin? Well, according to Dr. Henry Cloud, sin is failing to depend on God and not saying yes to his grace in all its various forms. Just let that settle on you. 
Because most of us think sin is just about missing the mark. No, sin is failing to depend on God and not saying yes to his grace in all its various forms. Because you see, when the fall took place, we got cut off on that life. So we decided that we would be God, small g. So therefore, when we sin, we're saying, we don't need your power, we don't need your strength, we can do it on our own. And the fact is, we can't. Romans 3.23, some of you who've been around for a long time know this verse very well. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, we're all in this together. It doesn't matter where you are, what you, how perfect you think you are. The fact is, we've all sinned. And the theologians call this the universality of sin. We're all in the same boat. So how is this acted out? Well, we said already, when we, need, when we meet our needs in our own way. One of the things that we've learned through this series is that when we talk about living a life, the cross, in our lives, Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. This is how it's worked out. You have a need to be satiated. I, you need love, you need compassion, you need affection. By the way, all legitimate needs. You have a choice. You can choose to meet those needs legitimately or illegitimately. You need love. You've had a hard day at work. The galaxy chocolate bar. Where is it? You find your galaxy. You get into that nice little sofa. You tear off the chocolate and... mm. Yes, it's good. Yeah? Now that's quite legitimate. But if you eat 10 bars, we know you have a problem. <laughs> yeah? You like food. We all like food, don't we? No, I do. I mean, Eileen and I are foodies. You know, we, 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 you know Eileen's very good at, you know, she's Irish background, so, you know, they love food. And we like to watch the food programs and all the rest of it. And both Rachel and my daughter and Eileen, they've got all the different books and the recipes and all the rest of it. But food is good, but food can be a comfort too, can't it? Something that's good can become illegitimate when we feel we are hurting. We feel we've been rejected. We go to the fridge. Now, we've had our dinner. But our natural thing to do is when we get hurt, what do we do? We eat. We get the haagen ice cream. <laughs> you know, the one with the chocolate chips in. Yeah, and they've got, you know, little bits of, of uh, what's that, what's it um, Good things in there, you know. And you're just, mm, mm. And before you know, it's all gone. Man, you know, you made a dent in that chocolate. You know, you, you're just gonna have a little bit, but before you know it, you bet a lot. So you see how something good can become, which is good to eat, can become an idol when we use it as a means of comfort instead of going to God. So, when you do that, when you meet your needs in your own way, the scripture calls that idolatry. And one of the issues with Israel was this, that they were idolatrous. In other words, they worshipped other gods. And one of the things they had were high places. And what would happen is that the people would go up to their high places instead of going to God in the temple. And we've all got our high places that we can go to when we need comfort. Self-medicating pain 
instead of bringing it to God for healing, is self-destructive and sin. It reminds me of those folk, you know, had a hard week, you know, it's Friday, so we get a bottle of wine. Now, I remember this guy because he had a bottle of wine and he had a glass that could take the whole bottle. So one glass is good, but by the time the evening is finished, you've drunk the whole lot. And you feel a little giddy. <laughs> All forms of self-medication. But there are no excuses for this, you know. Because one of the things about us is that we like to excuse why we do it. And this all started in the garden. You remember Genesis, those of you who know your Bible, God made the heavens and the earth and he made man and woman and it was good. And man and woman were the crowning glory of creation. Then we read how God just put a boundary on them and said, look, everything's in there for you to have. However, don't eat of the tree of, good, of the knowledge of good and evil. And as you know, everything was going fine. It was beautiful. Adam and Eve had, had transparency and openness with each other emotionally. Physically, they were naked, but it didn't matter. There was nothing hidden. And of course, they had wonderful interaction with God. So there was a relationship with God and in each other until Eve ate the fruit. She listened, of course, to the serpent. Now, what you need to understand is that the serpent, Lucifer, was angry. Why? Because he got kicked out of heaven. So his plan was to mar the pinnacle of God's creation man and woman. So he comes. And of course, she eats. She, he says, you will be like God. Eat it. And of course, she eats. And then her eyes are open. And what happens is they try to cover up. So transparency and openness with each other is lost. Communion with God is lost. So God finds out what's going on because he knows all things. And we read it, pick it up here in Genesis 3, 11, 13. And he said, this is God. Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? I always think that's a moment of truth there because what she says here is crucial. I wonder what would happen if she just owned up. But anyway, the man said, the woman. Oh, this few chapters before, a few verses before, he sees her and he says, whoa, this is my way, this is bone of my bones. He's now saying, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. This is one time when it was not a good thing to listen to your wife. There are times when it's very good to listen to your wife. They may not work it out logically, but they know intuitively. Mm-hmm. Amen. It's true, they know, you know. You cannot hide from your wife, her spirit pervades the earth. <laughs> if you are doing things you shouldn't be, she will know. Yeah. <laughs> then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? The woman said, it's the serpent's fault. I ate because of him. So we have this issue of blame shifting. And you know what? In our lives, we're all the same, and it all started in the garden. We tend to pass the blame on. But you know what blame does? Blame keeps us, keeps sin breathing and thriving within our lives. In other words, we have to take responsibility and accountability for our sin. 
We have to do that. Or else if we blame other people, it just keeps it alive. So, next point. We are powerless to do anything about our sin. I didn't like this. Because, you see, I came from a, a kind of Christian background where it was victory is on our lips and in our lives. You know, we could fight. I was believer's voice of victory. Ken Copeland, I was like, well, yeah, yeah. But when it says this, we're powerless to do anything about sin, I was like, hmm, I'm not sure about this. Then I looked a little closer. Why? Three things. Our nature, the law, and our needs. Let's just look at our nature. Romans 7, 21 tells us this. So I find this law at work. Although I want to be good, evil is right there with me. Because of the fall, we have this inner desire to break the rules. You know, you've walked past that patch of grass there for years. No, you know, you've never had any interest in walking upon it at all. You've been focused on where you're going. And then one day you walk, you're walking past and you see the notice, do not walk on the grass. And why is it that all of a sudden your foot just decides that he wants to go? Why is it that you have this strong desire to step on the grass before you had no desire at all? We see this with our children. It's what we call the Adamic nature. You tell them to do this, they do the opposite. Well, you think, what is wrong with him? Am I speaking English? Johnny, go over there. And this is, you see, when I was growing up, my parents, well, my dad was pretty strict. So it was like, if you asked them, if he said, go over there, you didn't say, why? Because you might fly over there. <laughs> you know, if it fretfully stuff, yeah, you'd be there. But now, young people today, it's like, go over there, Johnny. Why? And, you know, I was Jerry and I, my brother was here this morning, and we were discussing this because sometimes you're just too tired to answer the questions. Just go now. <laughs> you know, in the name of Jesus. <laughs> but the reality is that the, the, the Adamic nature is in us, it's in our kids, it's in us. We like to break the rules. And then what makes it worse is the law. Let me tell you this. Now, read the law. It says this, Romans 7, 5. For when we're in the realm of the flesh, mm -hmm, the sinful passions were aroused by the law, were at work in us so that it bore the fruit of death. So not only do we have this inner desire, the law tends to make it worse. As we said, the minute that someone says, you shall not do it, there is a desire that we should do it. So the law doesn't help us. You will never be able to, 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 be any, you know, to do the things that you need to do but if you, in terms of your sanctification if it's just about trying to keep the rules. You'll never do it. Because there's something in you that wants to do it and the law just excites it and makes it worse, not better. And you know, much of the preaching that I was under was like, which is this, this is that way, God is a holy God. And you are a sinner. And if there's secret sin in your life, you need to repent of it. So you repent and you come before God and you shed tears. And then you determine that you're going to try harder. Let me ask you, how's that working for you? <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> Honest brother there. It doesn't work, but that's what most of us were brought up under. The fact is, the law makes things worse. 
and we will never be able to fulfill all the requirements of God's law on our own. We are powerless. And the next one is our needs. Romans 7.19 says this, For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. So it works like this. You know you should not be promiscuous. You should not sleep around. But because of your need for affirmation and for love, your need for intimacy, that desire is so strong that you're prepared to get that need met in that way. And the truth is, many of us, and I I could speak autobiographically here if I wanted to, but here's the point. If deep back, deep, way back in your life, the thing that you need from your mother and your father is you need love and you need affirmation from them. If for some reason, circumstantial or otherwise, let's deal with the mother, you don't get the opportunity to bond with her because you were sick and you were put in an incubator or whatever it is, and that sets up within you a sense of fear and insecurity, And then later on in life, you find yourself seeking to be loved. And you don't know why you keep having relationship after relationship, or you keep doing things by having promiscuous relationships with other people, and what you're looking for is love, but it never satisfies you. You see, that's what we call the sin has been driven by deprivation. So you need to understand, some sins are are actually driven by our deep, deep need for affirmation and nurture. And if we haven't received it, then we spend most of our lives trying to find it in ways that are self-destructive. Now, some look better than others. If you have a deep need to be affirmed as a man, you can become a workaholic. You can be an achiever. And you could have the Mercedes Benz if you are Nigerian. You can, <laughs> you can have the BMW if you're Afro-Caribbean. You can have the big house, but what's driven it is this need to hear from your dad, well done. And I have a friend, she got a PhD, and she was talking with me how her dad was bragging on her to other people, but her dad never sat her down and looked her in the eye and said, Giovanni, well done, because that's what she wanted to hear. And that's what drove all that achievement. So our needs to be loved, our needs to be affirmed can can cause us to seek out that in a way that is sinful and destructive to us. By the way, the sin is just a surface issue. Gentlemen, you know, you've worked hard all day, you've been to work, you've done your job, or you've been under enormous pressure. So you're looking for relief. So you go up onto the internet and you start to flick. And then you find yourself looking at pornography which satiates the need, but it doesn't deal with the problem. Hello? That's how it works out. You may do it occasionally. But what it is driven by is by a need to be affirmed. And what what should happen is that into that need for comfort we call God, 
or we go to our idol. Be there, done that. So, our needs can cause us to behave in self-destructive ways. Trying to do better does not work because our sin is hurting us and hurting others. The sin is just the thing on the surface. You know why? Because we are cut off in that area of our life from the source of life that will help us overcome it, which of course is God. So what then is sin? Let's hear it again. Sin always appears as some form of independence from God. Yeah? Getting what you need away from him in whatever form you tend to do that. And sin is not just about external behavior, as we found out. It's driven by our internal motivators. You remember what Jesus said, you know, out of a man's heart comes what? You know, evil thoughts, sexuality, theft, murder, etc. All these come from our hearts. And then Jesus said, goes on to say, look, if you see a woman and you lust after her in your heart, you've committed adultery. Well, that's it. We're all dead. Men and women. Because women, they lust after men too, you know. Mm-hmm. So Jesus focuses on what's going on inside us. And he's well aware of our sinful actions. But and our sinful thoughts and our desires. And although preaching against it is good, it presupposes that we have the right choices. We don't have the right choices. We don't have the power. doesn't excuse us because sometimes, and here's just something for you, sometimes you know all of this, but you just do it anyway. You know you shouldn't look at it, but you just do it. You know you shouldn't have that last glass of wine, but you just drink it. That's called rebellion. So we got gotcha. you. Sometimes, you know, uh, you know, you can do the psychobabble, you know. Oh, well, you know, it's because I had deep uh, deprivation needs and uh, my mother didn't love me and I f- didn't feel affirmed. And then sometimes, actually, it's none of that. You're just rebellious. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> the fact is this, that whatever's driving it, whether it's the sinful nature, our deprivation needs, or the sins of others. The fact is this. We all need a saviour. We all need a saviour. And this is the good bit. Help has come in the form of the good news about Jesus. The gospel. The tyranny of sin has been broken by God himself. How do you mean? Well, God saw our plight. And through the ages we see various men that had a could have done the job. Maybe Noah, but Noah they messed up. And then Abraham, oh, but Abraham didn't do the job. And then Isaac and Jacob. And, and then in the end, God says, right, I'm coming myself. And he constructs himself to a span. He makes himself a man. He comes on the face of the earth. He walks through the streets of Jerusalem. He experiences pain. He experiences sorrow. He experiences sorrow, grief. And then he who knew no sin becomes sin. On our behalf, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, one of the most wonderful verses in the Bible. He who knew no sin becomes sin on your behalf and on my behalf. That we might 
be reconnected to God. So that we might be reconnected to God. Jesus is our substitute for sin. The cross. Yo. Good. We're on the next one now. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter, beg your pardon, chapter 2. When we were at the healing week, one of the things that we did was we wrote down our sins on a, on a tile. And then we put the tile in a plastic bag. And then we got a hammer and we smashed it. And then they had a cross. And we took nails and we nailed the sin to the cross. And I had a big six inch nails and bam, bam. And as I'm bamming the nails, banging the nails in, I was thinking of this first. In fact, the nails were too long, so I'm banging the nail and it went through the cross and into the floor. So when they tried to lift it up, it was stuck to the floor. You know, the, the two guys, <laughs> you know, fortunately we did repair the floor. But I was banging it in and I was banging it in this verse. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. I, when you were cut off, that's what it's saying. He forgave us all our sins. How? Having cancelled out the charge of legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. The cross is the place where we bring this stuff. God has provided for us that we can bring our pain, we can bring our sin. Our sin really is the, not the issue, it's the pain that causes the sin that needs to come to the cross. At the cross, sin is dealt with once for all. It's erased, it's removed, it's dealt with. And you know what sin produces in our life? It produces shame. It produces shame. Because I know I've done things, we have done things that we're all ashamed of. I tell you, on that week, we had to write down some of the things that we were ashamed of. Mm-mm-mm. You know? But it's all... The cross deals with the shame because Jesus took our shame on the cross. He became sin for us. And as we put faith in that finished work that was carried out for us as a means for, for our, to cover our sins, our sins have been forgiven and God can now begin the process of redeeming all that was lost from the fall. So, when you initially came to Jesus, that was just the start of the redemptive process. There's all the stuff that you should have had, that we should have had before the fall, that Jesus wants to give back to us. And it's the cross that is the means by which we can be released from the past so we, began, we can begin to begin to walk and live as God intended us to live. That's the plan. So, how do we respond? Well, it's repentance and living by spirit. Well, okay, we're doing good here. Well, what does repentance mean? Well, Dr. Henry Cloud puts it like this. He says, to have a total change of mind, to think differently, 
And that requires an entire turning around of our entire life, not just our behavior. And how are you going to do that in your own strength? Repentance isn't just, just a, how are you going to change your whole life around without God? And that means that it's not a quick fix. It means we're going to have to work on this. That we're going to have to journey on this. And we're going to do it as a community. And we're going to confess our sins one to another. We're going to confess our sins to God. We're going to pray for one another. And with God's help, we're going to learn to not only to confess our sin to God and to each other and renounce those sins that have taken power over us. And we're going to stay in accountability relationships so that we can work through the stuff. You can't do this stuff on your own, folks. There are no Lone Rangers. There's no Napoleon Solo. There's no James Bond. You have to do this in community. That's why being in a small group is important. We don't make rules, but how are you going to do this on your own? It's not possible. But we can do it together where there's grace and there's mercy and acceptance and love. So, living by his spirit, and this brings us to the close here. Depending on God, asking him to do for us through his spirit some of the following. And this is, how, and this is a minute by minute thing we have to learn to do. Because it's his power that's going to do it. Here it comes. To fill us and control us, we need his Holy Spirit. To keep us from temptation. And I haven't mentioned it, but Jesus prayed that the Lord would keep, you from, keep us from temptation. And Paul tells us no temptation is overtaken you that is common to man. But God is faithful with the temptation. He will also provide what? A way of escape. And part of that escape is, you know, if you have, you know, you have problems with internet pornography, then you need to do something about that. You may need to put some software on there. And you may need to make yourself accountable to someone, and by the way, I call it accountability relationships, not just accountability. You need to account, have a relationship with someone that you can be accountable. There has to be relationship there, it don't work. Yeah? Or don't go to those places where you know you're gonna get tempted. We ask the Holy Spirit to show us the truth, not just about the Bible. Where I came from, you know, we thought the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. So we thought that was the more we read the word, the more revelation we get in it. That's, that's part of the story. It's also the truth about you and what's been going on in you and the lies that you've been listening to that have been directing your life. The Holy Spirit will help you to join up the dots so you work out why you behave in that way. So when you go back, as he shows you, and you see the deprivation need, you begin to understand why. You have this need and why you behave that way towards women. That's what the Holy Spirit can do. We ask the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us. This is true, true for me, Proverbs 3, 5. You know, don't lean on your own understanding. Lord Jesus, lead me and guide me. And finally, learning to abide in him. John 1, 4, there, it says, you, you, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, then you're going to bear fruit. And by the way, even if you don't, he's going to prune you anyway, whether you bear fruit or not. But the important thing is to stay in him. And that's a minute-by-minute minute thing. It's called dependence on God. We're going to finish there. Shall we stand, please? Can I have the band up? Your own band. Because you may be asking yourself, well, when I look into my own heart, 
Some of you, you see, that the issue is you don't have, you disconnected from some of the pain that's in your life, so you don't feel anything. For some of you, you need to reconnect with that. One of the things I've had to learn is this, that when people have wounded me and hurt me, instead of me just cutting off for the feelings, I've had to reconnect with the hurt, reconnect with the pain. So before I can release forgiveness, I need to release, the, I need to experience the pain and the hurt and the anger of what's happened to me. Then I'm ready to release forgiveness. Then I'm ready to renounce it. And then I'm ready to receive his Holy Spirit. And then I'm ready to go into accountability relationship so that we can work through the process of getting our will upright before God. But bless God this morning that God has provided a way for us. He has provided a way for us. And you need not be discouraged. Whatever besetting sin there is in your life, you can know this, that God has a way to bring you into freedom and liberty. Not just to deal with the sin, but to bring you into the life that he always intended for you. That not only would you be holy and blameless, that you would also fulfill the destiny and calling that he has for you in Christ Jesus. Because he has prepared a good work prepared beforehand with your name on it. It's unique for you. And whatever has happened to you in the past, whatever deprivation needs you've had, in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus has made full provision to give you all that you need. Love, affirmation, comfort. Because he's a father and he's a mother. And he knows how to hold us. And he knows how to comfort us. And he knows how to restore us. So that the years that the locusts have eaten will be restored unto you. Because he always keeps the best wine till last. Amen.